Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, friends, uh, today we come to uh, part seven in our uh, journey, uh, the navigating the epidemic within, uh, look at emotional health. And if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah 30 today. And actually, just before we jump into this on Father's Day, where just to say as a father, I feel so hugely honored and um, emotional you won't be surprised to hear. I want to just say, Joni, uh, thank you so much. Your first time hosting, absolutely crushed it. You're so such an amazing leader. Thank you so much for serving. Minette, what an amazing uh, thought and uh, heart sharing as well as a prayer. It's great to be in a church where we honor on our fatherhood but we also have so many strong women leaders who are just blessing and building this church magnificently what a joy to be part of this i i love this church i feel so thrilled to be part of this church it's a, an incredibly rich experience for me anyway so it's good to be alive <laughs> so today this final seventh principle based on the emotionally healthy book that we've been looking at by pete scazero is this is to slow down and to lead or live with integrity, to slow down and to live with integrity. And in simple terms, what I love about this principle is that it kind of honors the previous six. You know, it's basically saying, uh, unless you do this final thing, which is to do with pace, you won't actually do the first six. Unless you're living deliberately somewhat more slowly, you won't look beneath the surface. You'll just have a shallow life. And unless you're endeavoring to live a little slower, you won't, you know, break the power of the past and look at family of origin stuff. You won't live within your limits. You know, you won't do all the previous six. So this, this final thing is hugely important, slowing down in order to apply the first six. And uh, on Father's Day, of course, this, um, this is a hugely relevant topic. Uh, man, you know, living in any way, trying to represent our Heavenly Father is just a pretty overwhelming privilege and responsibility. And doing it in an unhurried way is essential, in my opinion. Like, if we, if we hurry, if we're rushed, I think being a decent father is 10 times uh, more difficult. And some of you may be going, oh, cool, Tom, this sounds great. You know, I'm Californian. You know, I like to take it easier. And so slowing down sounds something easy for me, which is great. But this is quite a, a, a profound thing. And I think for at least a couple of reasons, it's not always easy for most of us. First of all, the pace at which we live as a world, I would say, is the fastest it's ever been in human history from amazon delivery times to internet speeds to just to everything the expectation of pace 
in terms of how quickly you get back on your text messages or your WhatsApps. The, the, the expectation of pace in terms of your job and everything is so tremendously strong nowadays. This is anything but easy. The other reason this is such a challenge is because we're talking about issues of the soul. And the soul is very real, but you cannot measure it in the way that we measure most of the other stuff of our life. You cannot measure tending to your soul uh, in the same way that you can measure, you know, I don't know, goals in the rest of your life or your physical workout or your food intake or whatever it might be. It's, and that's why so often we just do violence to our soul and we don't tend to it because we are secret uh, materialists and we love empirical things we can measure. And so this whole thing of slowing in order to tend to our invisible but real soul is very countercultural to us. But if we don't do it, I think all those previous six principles will be in vain. And here is the biggest thing I would say. This is so simple, our children can understand this. If you're like, Tom, why is this so important? If you look at the Christian God, Jesus... I believe he was never hurried. Now, he was very busy, and we're going to look at the difference between being busy and hurry. But the Christian God, just let this sink in, when you look at Jesus, I don't believe he was ever hurried. And so if Tom Shaw or you, if our life has a, a, a kind of overall feel of franticness, and, and we're metaphorically ahead of Jesus, sort of screaming, catch up, Jesus, we're probably out of the will of God. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's that simple and yet that significant. Jesus, when you look at him, I don't think was ever hurried. It's extraordinary. And there's something very profound for us that we are called to be followers of Jesus. The Bible talks much more about following than leading. Of course, there is the gift of leadership, Romans 12, but the fundamental posture of a, of a Christian, of a Christian, is that we're behind the rabbi. We're following Jesus, and he sets the pace with all the wisdom of heaven. Look at Isaiah 30. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Triune God, wrote the Bible. It's the same God throughout. And look what, what the Father is saying to Israel at this point. At a point where they're tempted and unfortunately, they're falling into the temptation to hurry. The pressure cooker that they're in is that Assyria is breathing down their necks, necks rather. And Assyria was a terrifying, very real superpower that was wanting to crush them and annihilate them, or at the very least, take them out of where they were. And in that situation where there's tremendous pressure, might I humbly suggest even more pressure than your life? This is what there's, a, there's basically there's a temptation for them to either flee, as we'll look at, or for them to wait on God. They have two choices to so either flee and to react and to get busy or to wait. Look with me here. Verse 15 of chapter 30. So this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says to Israel and to you and me when we're tempted to be busy in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness 
and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, no thanks, we will flee on horses. Well, therefore, you will flee. You said, no, we will ride off on swift horses. Well, therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you'll all flee away. Till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Isn't that amazing? He rises. For the Lord is a God of justice. Listen, blessed are all who wait on him. Now this passage, if you actually spend any time meditating on what is happening to these people, they've got Assyria threatening to crush them. And it is the most natural thing in the world. What they're trying to do is when he says you're, you're tempted to flee, much of Isaiah is about them looking to Egypt for help. And God's going, no, don't go to other alliances. Don't go to places that promise you some sort of rescue. Don't go to just planning more or working harder more or anything that is ultimately outside of God. And he's saying, please don't go. Don't flee to Egypt on those horses to, to, to seek rescue in repentance and rest. In quietness and in trust is your strength. I see myself so in this picture. When the pressure is on, we have two choices. Do we go, do we have a fleeing spirit? That's my first question. If I was to ask your spouse or your friends, do you have a fleeing spirit? Always slightly anxious energy to go to other places to help, to rescue. Or is there a growing quietness and trust? even when the pressure's on. Now, if you're anything like me, you go, I want that, Tom. I recognize that was like Jesus. How do I get it? And I think there's three keys that we see in scripture that we're looking, going to look at today. How do we develop a slowing down so we have integrity with how we live? Number one, slowing down requires structure. Don't laugh. Tom Shaw speaking on structure. Number two, uh, slowing down requires Sabbath. And thirdly, slowing down requires silence and solitude. Depending on time, we may have a chance for some questions and answers. Um, so just to make a note if anything comes up and you think, oh, can I ask? I'd love to talk about that. And today may feel fairly practical, and I make no apologies for that, because I think we need to earth what we've been hearing really practically. Although I hope there will be some meat in there as well, I trust. First of all, then structure. We, we need to be a people, if we're going to have any kind of Jesus-like um, appropriate unhurriedness, we actually need structure. You see, we live, as I've mentioned, in a time where one way of understanding the world in which we live, it's like we're in the ocean and there's a rip current trying to drag you out to the ocean of activity. It's incredibly powerful. But with rip currents, most of the time, you're not aware that they're in operation. And you and I need like, to use our minds to actually build healthy rhythms and structures to enable us to stay, as it were, safely anchored to shore. We live in a time, and you, you don't need me telling you this, where more than ever, the, the, the pressure to act with all that's happening in the nation, the pressure to, to make 
your voice heard, the, the, to say something, and to, to be active, even if it doesn't have integrity because you don't know what you're talking about, is <laughs> just so huge. That's the current age in which we live. We, many of us live in San Francisco and you're in a star. Awesome. Uh, Welcome back. Thank you. There we go. Okay. Was I talking about, what was I talking about, being a rip current or something? <laughs> yeah, look at that. I'm trying to connect with the surface, you see, living in San Francisco. So the, the image of us being in a, in a time where there's a huge pressure on us to act, is it feels more than ever. To, to rise up and to act, even if you're not quite, even if it doesn't really have integrity to it, is a very real uh, culture in which we live. And um, add to that being in a church plant, startup, startup work, everything can kind of add up to this slightly frantic feeling. I know I've seen it in my life. Uh, cr- trying to creep in, it's like an orphan mentality. You've got to make it, you're on your own. And it's not true. Jesus was always in that place of trusting his father and just doing what he told him to do. It's very, very different. And um, also, you've got to know yourself. If you're tired, anyone here tired at the moment, just raise your, your hands to the screen. I think we see an ocean of, yeah, a forest of hands. It's that natural time that we're all tired. When you're tired, your flesh can actually lie to you. And just say, keep working, keep working, keep do, doing more. If you just do that next thing or that next thing, and it's like a frantic attempt to be in control. And it takes tremendous sort of structure and inner discipline to go, no, I need to stop actually and do, do the opposite and to retreat and to actually, I'm not seeing things clearly. That kind of cloud of adrenaline that comes over us is very, very real. And I, wanted to, I just want to be really specific here. There is a difference between hurry and being busy. Jesus was busy. Jesus' cell phone never stopped, okay? If you're going to be someone who loves people one at a time, you're going to be busy. It's a good thing. But there is a difference, isn't there, between outer busyness and that inner sense of hurry where you're kind of, you know, you're just not present and you're not sinking into this world one moment at a time. John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is a quote from Dallas Willard, is like everyone's buying it because it's so helpful in terms of simply saying, when Dallas Willard was asked what's the number one key to discipleship, he said, ruthlessly removing hurry from your life. You're going to be busy, but there's a difference. And that's what we're trying to get at, this difference. In fact, Eugene Peterson, very, very busy man who wrote the Bible, you know, he translated the Bible, I should say, he wrote 30 to 40 books, pastored the church. He provokingly said many people who are very busy, sorry, who are hurrying, um, are actually lazy. He said, often, if you look, if you're called to follow Jesus, and he was not hurried, he was busy, but not hurried, when we find ourselves in that place of hurrying, and I've just got so many things to do, number one, pride is often in operation because we all like to be known as just so busy. But also, um, we can be lazy in terms of doing the hard work of slowing down and doing the, the few things that Jesus actually wants us to do. That's a lot of hard work. It's hard work to be unhurried, is what he's saying. Um, and I think it's true. The early desert fathers um, were always very suspicious of people who were frantically busy in the name of Jesus. And um, as you can tell by their title, these guys lived in the desert. And most of us don't live in the desert. Um, 
And actually, we need to fashion or create almost deliberate desert moments in our life. We need to structure them into our life. It's a huge part of scripture, desert times that are frequent in our lives to enable us to recalibrate and to let Jesus come close to us, as it were, and us to slow down, take a breath, and let ourselves be human beings again, not human doings. And um, I want to say this, just get ready for the fact that there will never, say never, there will never be a good time to pause that it just won't happen because distractions are delicious and they're deadly. That's the whole point. It's never this like obvious time. Okay, now I'm going to take a day away or two days or I'm going to do some sort of pause moment in my life. And this is another huge thing. Many of us will feel tremendous guilt at ever withdrawing in order to be unhurriedly just with Christ. You, I mean, anyone here, I feel so guilty. I can hear people, what, you've had a retreat? Oh, I'd love to have a retreat. And there's this, like, judgment that we can give to each other. Let me say, it's going to require you being convinced. Listen to this. If you're a Christian, you are married to Christ. Now, no one's ever going to pour guilt on you if you're married for having a night away with your spouse. They're going to go, fantastic, invest in that relationship. Christians, we need to understand that we are married to Jesus. And that's actually even more important that we tend to that relationship than in even our human marriage. So if we never uh, come hell or high water, as it were, whatever the cost, take time to tend unhurriedly to that relationship, that marriage. Um, you know, we, we are, in, to be honest with you, the Bible talks about unfaithfulness, like adultery. It's very harsh language to say, you must see this as a priority, friends. You, that's, you need that kind of strong language to overcome guilt. <laughs> the guilt of leaving your family, leaving your kids, or other people sort of, you know, going, oh, that sounds nice, I'd like to do that. Friend, I want a church where we can celebrate. We can celebrate each other's just being aware of i need to pause i need and there's no guilt there's a celebration of it so rick warren who leads a church of forty thousand, he said helpfully um ways to understand structure is you've got to abandon annually you need to withdraw weekly and you need to divert daily lovely pithy phrases with full of actual significance so they're very obvious to understand first of all he's saying yearly we need to be a people who find time, not just to have a vacation, although that's great, but a time where you're actually allowing God to take care of you. You're allowing God to genuinely draw close to you. There's a great Anglican um, conference in England called Advance, sorry, Retreat to Advance. I love that. There's an idea that you have to actually retreat away from the craziness of life in order to remember who you are to remember who jesus is it's fascinating that even jesus although i'm sure he prayed on the fly even jesus didn't mainly multitask prayer he literally had to withdraw even jesus and be alone close the door it's very practical when you pray close the door it's like why do you mention that close the door you have to be someone who literally turns that phone off, 
does things practically to um, to retreat consistently in your life, at least annually. My sister's got seven children, and she homeschools, and she's got two part-time jobs. And she's a charismatic Catholic. And one of the things I love about that tradition is that it's very strong on certain structures. And actually, um, she is, you know, not ruthless, that sounds bad, but she's very disciplined. And her husband celebrates that, her going away consistently to have time on her own with Jesus. And they, and they, they tag team it. If you don't do it, God will force it upon you. If you never do that, there will come a point where you'll be running on empty and God will force that. So what happened to me, as you know. And let's just say July is a time we are all saying, let's try together as a community to do something of this with no guilt, no shame. Okay. We also need to withdraw weekly. And I'm going to, my second point is all about this. I'll talk about this in a moment about Sabbath. But what I will say is this, is that I think one of the reasons this is so crucial is that I think the church generally has often lost her distinctiveness in terms of being a people of peace and joy and kindness. And when our friends who don't, who aren't Christians taste Christians, they taste the church. Honestly, I think sadly they feel that sense of hurry. They don't feel it's always different. Um, and I think that's, I don't think we're called to be rocket scientists. You know, one of our great vision statements as a church is loving well, one person at a time, which means, what does that mean? We want to be unhurried in the presence of the poor and unfazed in the presence of the powerful. And that is harder than it sounds, isn't it? to actually live at a pace where we can be unhurried with those around us who in some ways we might see as inferior. Withdrawing weekly, we'll look at in a moment in more detail, is crucial. Second part of our structure. And the third thing is to divert daily. Daniel, we know in the Bible, he prayed three times a day. Part of the Jewish um, uh, just, you know, way of living was daily, regular pre or you know pre-arranged times where they prayed i love that in the book of acts you see at the hour of prayer peter's going up and then he heals the beggar so it's just part of the good gift of the way god has set up israel that we've been grafted into is this beautiful sets of rhythms where we can pause and actually um really not just wait until we feel like it but plan our days a little bit so for me for example i try in the mornings before I look at my phone, before I get into communications, which I could spend all my life doing, I just try and just have some time on my own in the word. And it's not easy, but I try to do that. It's my little rhythm to do that. And, and yeah, almost the way I'd say it is you almost have to see it as an addiction to overcome. Hurrying is like an addiction. And there's lots of little practical ways in your day that you can go to war on that spirit of fleeing, that spirit of hurry. So, for example, and these, these are not like laws. These are just Tom Shaw little things I try and do to help me um, in my better moments. Number one, when you're at the grocery store and you see the lines, why not pick the longest line? <gasps> Tom, don't you dare. That's just that's a terrible thing to say. There's something in us that wants to get in and get out, and I understand that. 
but simple the, 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 the can we pick the longest line when you're on the highway can you pick the slowest lane you know when Josie and I if we go to a shop we go to Target or whatever we'll tend to divide and conquer you go that way I go this way it's more efficient maybe we should and we've att attempted to do this every so often to go shopping together and actually to do a slower thing but together now these are sort of silly little things and you have your own equivalence that God will give you ways in which you can go to war on an addiction to hurry and a really specific one I've mentioned on the email and I want to really encourage you if you haven't got it there's a brilliant little book by Pete Scazzaro called Emotional Healthy Spirituality Day by Day and it's an introduction to what's called the daily office from the Latin it's daily office apparently which means daily work and it's a monastic base idea basic idea the daily work of structuring in your day little times morning lunchtime afternoon evening where you just you just pause for a few moments and this is very common in the monastic world oh thank you amanda wonderful that's brilliant there it is um where you stop you pause you're silent and it's the emphasis is on being with Jesus rather than praying to him to get stuff done. That little book is like a, a beginner's version. And I've done it several times. And in July, I'm going to be doing it again. It gives you a daily devotion type thing in the morning, two minutes of silence, then a scripture, little comment on the scripture, and then a question to consider. Then a mo two minutes of silence again, and then you finish. And practicing that, twice a day it's incredible how it infuses your day more and more with a sense of the sacredness of your whole day it helps to to get rid of like a sec a sacred secular divide as you just learn to pause more and more okay so structure point one number two is sabbath now sabbath is so huge um and uh you know, it's, it's incredibly profound and at one level also very simple. So I'll just try and stay in the, sh the simple shallow end for today, knowing my limits. But basic, the basic idea is this. In Genesis 1, we see this picture of God who is a God who creates. He works, okay? So Genesis 1 is this beautiful God creates, God creates, God creates. And God calls us as his image bearers also to be those who work. Work is a good thing so when you create out of chaos a beautiful meal you are actually following the image of your father who out of chaos created this world when you make a plan or you tidy a room there is something of you image bearing god in that good work but what is so beautiful is that you cannot help but see when you see genesis 1 that genesis 2 is actually kind of the crescendo it's like building and building, God works and he works and he works. And then oh, on the seventh day, he rests. And Genesis 1 is all about a king. Sorry, it's all about a God who works. But Genesis 2 kind of, it, 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 it hints at like a king who, who rests. And from that place of rest, he rules this world. It's, it's exquisite. And what's fascinating is that, do you know what the very first thing in the Bible that is called holy. Do you know that? The very first thing in the Bible that's called holy is not, it's not a, a place and it's not a people, it's not an object, 
it's, it's a moment of time. That seventh day, if you look in Genesis 2, is the first thing that's called holy. It's blessed. And holy means it's separate, kadosh. It means it's, it's other than, it's a little bit different. And that's gorgeous. It's so beautiful that, and as you see, Adam is made on the sixth day. And the first thing he does is he rests at the end of the sixth day. He's like, okay, here I am. Let's go. And then God's like, right, rest. And he's like, what? I've got a lot of energy. I've just been created. And God's like, no, we're going to just rest. Can you imagine what that would have been like for Adam? He's like, no, but I'm really ready to go. I'm very excited to be alive. And the very first day he experiences is the sacred holy day of Sabbath. It's amazing. You see, most of us rest in order to get back to work, right? And work is a good thing. But it's equally true to say that actually we work in order to rest. To rest properly requires us being very prepared for it and getting things in order. It's not that, you know, work, that rest is a necessary evil to get back to the really good stuff of work. That legitimizes rest. No, no, this is a, a, a profound kind of turning on its head of how we view things. Um, and we are to imitate God, who is a God who rests as well as works. And there's two reasons why Sabbath is hugely important. Number one, it enables us to taste grace every single week, to taste grace. And then secondarily, to embrace limits. So let me just briefly mention that. First of all, Sabbath is a gift of God, where we stop for 24 hours and we let God take care of us. We let our Father just prove himself faithful and kind as he comes to us. So for the shores, practically, we kind of attempt a bit of a Sabbath. It's not easy with busy lives in San Francisco with three kids. Really, Friday lunchtime to Saturday lunchtime ends up really being our kind of our family Sabbath. And so I tend to turn my phone off Thursday night after Sanctuary Group. Friday morning, I'm at work, but I'm not looking at my phone. I'll look at Slack or emails or iMessages on my iPad. And then by Friday lunchtime, we'll really go into something of a Sabbath. And I think we're learning this. We're babies at learning really what this means. But it really does mean like what gives grace to us? What enables us to taste grace together? So it might mean on Friday nights, Josie doesn't have to cook and we'll get a takeout. And we, we just try and label our father to come. We don't, we're not trying to control him or make it super spiritual. We're physical beings. We're relational beings. We're mental beings. We need to rest. But we're just, one of the keys for me is if I've had a good Sabbath is this, is can I feel pleasure again? And I mean, you know, pleasure in like small things, like the feel of the wind or the smell of the fresh park near our house or it's it's that recovery of the pleasure of a thousand things and i want to say this is that for israel who had spent 400 years as slaves in egypt who were being who were defined by what they did isn't it fascinating that one of the first things that god did when he got them out of slavery they've been slaves i am what i do that was their mantra it's all about productivity i've got to produce i've got to produce i've got to produce and then we see in the bible god takes them out 
of, out of slavery and into the beginnings of their journey towards the promised land. And the first thing he, well, one of the first things he does is he brings in this crazy idea, this glorious idea of a Sabbath, that you are no longer slaves, you are sons and daughters. And therefore you can once a week put up your feet and rest. You are no longer defined by what you do. Hallelujah. That was your old slavery mindset. You're now defined by what you've received. And that's going to be hard for you, O Israel, to rewire your brains because you're so used to being doers and slaves. But now every week I'm going to introduce this thing called the Sabbath where you can just sit back and trust me. One commentator said that Israel was known as the stopping people. I love that. I love that. They were the amazing, unique people on earth who once a week actually stopped. That the way that they expressed their faith in God was by stopping. It was amazing. It's so amazing. It's even obviously one of the Ten Commandments. Like, it's a big deal that we stop, that we rest. And another, just a little thing, uh, just is amazing. I'm told the Jewish day begins at sundown. Now, Manette, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm 99% sure that's true. And that means, you see, for, for us Gentiles, we think of the day starting in the morning, right? I wake up, I have a shower, and I begin my day. Ta-da! Hey, world, here I am. The Jewish day starts at sundown. And if you think about that, what's that synonymous with? Your lowest amount of energy. <laughs> the day begins, and you're like, I can't do anything. I just want to have a meal, relax, and go to bed. And then you go to bed and you have sleep for eight hours and then you wake up and then you and you're finally ready to start your day. And it's 12 hours after the day actually began. You're, you're waking up and your whole day is beginning with like, oh, God's been at work all night <laughs> all around this amazing world. And it just communicates in its timing. You're not in control. I, it shifts everything from being on your shoulders to I'm waking up and God's been at work for 12 hours quite happily with me snoozing away in bed and my job now is to work out what God's doing to try and partner with him and not muck it up I don't have to be hugely creative and inspirational and like entrepreneurial our God is that and he's been amazing doing all these miracles around planet earth while I've been snoozing away in my bed and that's the way it's set up to communicate hey friend he's big and he's strong and he's in charge it's glorious enjoy it drink it in even in terms of your timing of the day but also, Sabbath helps us to embrace our limits. Listen, on Genesis, in Genesis 2, it says that God finished creating. Guys, you will never finish. You will never finish your work. Ever. Isn't that like a strange thing to think? Our lives, as humans who are limited, we will never go, oh, I've finished now. So Sabbath is like entering into a messy room. It's like, there's so many things I want to tidy up. There's so many metaphoric loose ends that require us saying, God, I am actually deliberately just trusting you with all these things that could tempt me back into action. <laughs> and I'm embracing the fact till the day I die, I will, it will never be finished. And you're the only one that gets to say it's finished. And my, you see, many of us are functional atheists. We think, we, we say we believe in a father who's in control, but if we can't ever really stop, withdraw weekly, abandon annually, divert daily, if we can't do that, 
it's actually saying that we still we we feel like we are divine and everything rests on us and we need to be those who realize that the gospel itself has this tremendous feel of the sabbath one commentator said if i fail to see the value in doing nothing i fail to see the heart of the gospel itself isn't that phenomenal if i fail to see the value in doing nothing i fail to see the heart of the gospel itself because the gospel is fundamentally about who god is what god has done who god has made you to be before you ever get to even do a thing and actually we're going to do a series in august when we come back on ephesians and this whole book i mean it gets to being really practical but the huge few first chapters are talking about who god is and what god's done and who god's made you to be and you just have to sink and just sort of receive it if you're an activist that is not easy i remember going to south africa years ago and doing a men's camp and if you if you're american or british and you think you're active i tell you my south african brothers there's another level of like let's make this thing happen and i remember going to this man's camp and i had four sessions and i preached four sessions on doing nothing and living in who god has made you to be before you do anything but there was this sort of like you know there was this sense of like you know tom you, you this is like what we've got surely we've got to do something go and change the world and i was like well we get to that we change we do of course we're active but you know the reality is is actually we 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 are called to those who rest in what god has done and who who jesus, what jesus has achieved for us so we've got a little chart here i think uh maybe amanda is going to bring this up or Joni, and uh it's kind of a description of what Sabbath is like versus work. Sabbath is, um, I think, the first one, the, the, the other PDF first, if that's okay, thanks. Sabbath is about surrender. Work is about being active. Sabbath is about letting go. Work is about engaging life. And both of these are important. Sabbath is about being work is about doing sabbath is about mary work is about martha sabbath is contemplating work is about active sabbath is about retreating and work is about advancing next page sabbath is about tasting something of eternity and work is about entering into human history. Sabbath is something of tasting home, resting in the sanctuary we find in Christ. Work is about journeying through this life. Sabbath is about slowing and work is about moving. Sabbath is about attention to God. Work is about intentional with God. Sabbath is kind of like floating in a river Whereas work is like swimming in the river. Sabbath is a desert type withdrawal. Work is more synonymous with images of the city. So let me ask you this question. As you hear this, what, is your, what kind of feelings is your body having right now as you hear this invitation to abandon annually and to withdraw weekly? And to divert daily is it something that there's like a yeah 
I feel that, I agree with that, that's true and good. Or is there any kind of <gasps> tension or sense of anxiety or internal pushback? Just think for a moment, what's going on inside here as you hear this? Anyone want to just quickly share? Just you can unmute. What's going on? Any reactions inside as you hear this stuff? It's going to take a lot of practice to, yes. to be like intentional about not being intentional. <laughs> yes, that's good, Leah. That's a good way of putting it. I feel nervous about um, losing control. Yeah, absolutely. Any other thoughts? Can I say one? Of course. <laughs> I think like fear around how you rest, how you have, like what you do if you're not doing, mm -hmm. mm. and what what falls into the what is okay to do during that time right because if you're a lot of the work i do i'm not paid to do so it's like what is mm. what is work and what isn't work i get mm. quite confused by yeah that's great yeah that's good yeah any other internal reactions as you hear all this talk about pausing and slowing can i ask a question yeah why not um, do you have any, like, from when your kids were younger, do you have any, or does anybody else have some, like, things that have worked when Sabbathing with very young children? That's a great question. Anyone want to unmute and save me? <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I, that is a very, very legitimate question. Josie, do you want to come back onto the microphone? Oh, look at this, he's letting me speak. Um, I... I think for us, it was about letting go of like the competition of who is more tired than, so a lot of it was to do with our marriage mm. and he, he has always been better at going, being like, I've just got to have a nap. Whereas I'm much more of a martyr. Um, and I think we learned that we had mm -hmm. to tag team. So we had to, so I wouldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. But I needed to rest. I did need time on my own to rest, but it felt really unnatural to mm. me because there was so much I needed to do in that time. Mm. So I think learning to be like, okay, you go and have an hour, then I will have an hour. Yeah. Like, and it's up to you what you use that time for, but you've got to make yourself do it, you know? I mm. think, but that was hard for us because my thing was like, no, we have to keep going. So, um, yeah. That's great. I think, like, re re I mean, Pete Scazzaro says as humans we're like five things, which spells the word spies, which I find helpful. We're social, physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. And I think Sabbath involves all of those. So it may be, like, for you, the, the, the screaming need is physical rest. Mm. And it's just realizing you're physical. That's no less important than having a prayer time. You know, you made, you made the biggest thing in your, those years, maybe I need to sleep. Mm. And if Peter can release me to sleep for a bit or vice versa. I mean, we say it's a joke, but it's actually huge. It's like a, it's, it's, it's part of a theology of the body and understanding that we are physical as well as everything else. Um, so I think recognizing um, it's, it's the heart of the kind father wants to give you a gift. 
rather than like a pressure to make it right you know what does it look like for you to to be able to yeah does that make sense any yeah. other, anyone want to jump in that's a great question how do you do sabbath when you got small kids any other tips i would say to go back to your first question what i was going to answer like what emotions and this will tag into it but like i almost i can feel like this guilt because this this um this idea of sabbath uh i think has been popularized over the last few years and it's like there's teachings on it and then you hear sabbath and you're like great i can't even rest right like i can't eat like, i can't even do the fun things right you know and uh and and uh, <laughs> you know like i can't even have fun uh so um but i think part of it is like in the season of young kids like i have to remind myself like it's okay like it doesn't have to, you know like like some of the practical tips and the boxes to check are helpful but they're not like they don't need to be prescriptive and so like i think having to have a lot of flexibility and grace for yourself in that time too it's like every week's not every weekend's not gonna look the right the same way yeah and you know just like enjoy like like for me like just actually learning to like pause and then take the moments in the week to actually enjoy the kids <laughs> you know like their yeah. the craziness of it and just like like view those moments as like holy and sacred of like mm. be around forever so i'm still learning i don't know but i think just giving yourself a lot of grace in those young years like mm -hmm. we're learning of how it could look like it's good any other questions? I think I, I, it's great Q and A. So, anything anyone wants to ask from anything that's come up this morning? You must have questions, surely. You can't be like, "Hey, I totally agree." Got it. There must be things that you're thinking. What about this? Is that true? I mean, you guys, I'm looking at your faces, and you're like some of the busiest people I've ever met. And this feels like it. How do you? You know, this feels like it's this like alien idea in some ways. Any any thoughts? No question is, is wrong. Hey, Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, Jean was just saying to me that when our children were young, um, that on Sunday, you know, we, were, we would go to church a couple of times a day at that point. And, um, and, you, and he was saying, basically, you have to teach your children to rest too. It's important to teach your children to rest. Wow. You can rest. Like one Sunday, we, I was just remembering, Sean was about three or four years old, and I was taking a nap, and I think Jean was resting a little bit, and Sean went out front to play with a neighbor, and he ended up, you know, he was playing Star Wars and, and got a, a stick in his mouth and, you know, had a big cut. We ended up all getting up from our naps and heading down to the emergency ward which wasn't too restful, you know? So, Gene was, <laughs> Sorry, Sean, I hope you don't mind me revealing that. <laughs> but, um, but that it's, I thought it was an important point that Gene just made that, that it has, children have to be taught to rest, to have wow. a time to go in their rooms and have quiet time and, you know, have a rest as well. So that's all. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Great, great point. I've never I really, thought about that. I really think as well, like, I think I've had to really learn that 
I think I can think of rest as like, okay, I'm just going to watch TV or just zone out, you know, like, and, and all, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that sometimes, but that doesn't actually restore my soul in any way, you know, Mm. I mean, it can do if you're watching something that God speaks to you through, Mm -hmm. but in general, it doesn't restore my soul. But if I use that time to go for a walk in the woods or go to the beach or, you know, it's not all, I think because I'm an active person, it's not always about just sitting on my own, Mm. like staring at a wall. It's, it's doing something that will refresh my soul between me and God. Mm. And, and I think that difference between rest and kind of vegging out, I think is really interesting that it's about it doing something good inside of us and yes. um, restoring us in some way that God, God wants to bring. Yeah. I, it's, it, what's really exciting actually is in July when we have those four weeks, uh, I, Pete Cazero, he, he says that he thinks that there's almost like four elements to Sabbath, which is like the stopping bit. And then there's the resting bit. Yeah. Then there's like the worshipping bit and the contemplating bit. And I think what he's getting at, which we'll look at as a people over the next few weeks, is you, it's kind of, if you just think of it as like, there's just time, it's just like with no sense of direction. It's quite hard to, you can almost get anxious about trying to rest, like has been said. Whereas if you realise the first ingredient, like just being really practical you need like a, you're like a train and a train can't just stop it needs to slow it needs to stop gradually so what does it mean for you to actually stop so for me it means t- taking my i take my, my my watch off helping me to stop means i take my watch off and i'm like so i'm not always thinking about the time i turn my phone off i um I obviously just it's practical things that help you to stop i won't read certain books because they'll get my brain back into like leadership mode. I'll read like, you know, The Hobbit or something. And I'll deliberately watch like a kid's program with my kids, not on my own. You know, um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, I'm just, it's like, what does stopping look like? And often you can try to, you know, one part of Sabbath is contemplation. It's thinking about God and, and, and that. But if you try and rush to contemplation when you're exhausted and you haven't rested, you can end up kind of like, oh, I should be thinking about God. And like, well, just go to sleep first. Mm. Have some rest. He loves you and he's made you physical with limits. And then you'll find when you wake up, you'll probably be able to worship him more, contemplate him more, which requires some energy. So I don't know. I am no expert on this, but I think we will kind of break this down a little bit over July through these, these emails that come each week. Um, and I hope, that's, I hope it will serve, serve us. Um, I know most of you will be in sanctuary groups. This question I've, this week, I've already got people texting me saying they can't wait for their sanctuary groups because they're gonna. They've got so many questions bubbling up. So we'll we'll, we'll press pause for now on this, um, but do come ready on Thursday night to be asking lots of questions because I think what's I've said I think is true and biblical, but I think it's most of us. Um, I know myself included. It's a real journey of of trial and error. And kindness, just receiving the kindness of God that he knows. It wasn't easy for Israel, who had been slaves for 400 years, to detox and to become sons and daughters and to live into that rest. Um, So it's, it's not easy for any of us.